As mentioned, the text for this morning's sermon is Ecclesiastes 11, and as we have already uh, read it, we will not read it again, but the text will go through Ecclesiastes 11. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I am not one, really one for using props in my preaching, but since I have a ready-made prop right here, today I'm going to make an exception. In this glass, we have some water. I'm going to ask you that well-known question. In your mind, is this glass half empty or is it half full? I'm sure you've heard that question before with this sort of thing. It's a classic example of are you a pessimist or are you an optimist? How do you view things? Perhaps you find yourself in one of those two, two camps, a glass half empty person or glass half full. Now, why do I say this? Well, what about when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes? Read through Ecclesiastes and it strikes you as most definitely a, a glass half empty type of book. After all, you hear that constant refrain from the preacher, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It seems to be so pessimistic. With that kind of outlook, perhaps it's too much to say that the glass is even half empty. The The glass is half empty and it's meaningless. Perhaps we feel that way about life at times too. It's a broken world And we face frustrations, we face struggles every day. And one area we face those is in the area of our work, our day-to-day work. Whether you are a business owner, a nurse, computer programmer, construction worker, or a mom raising kids, you're going to face struggle, you're going to face frustration, and we feel that every day. Now, around this time, every year, we've, we have a service dedicated to crops and labor, as I mentioned, and we seek God's blessing in prayer over these things. And last year was a tough year for many farmers. Severe drought plagued many areas. Yields were low. And this year, so far, we've had a very cold spring. Many farmers were worried about they could get their crops sown in time. When we face those struggles in life, when it comes to work as well, we might uh, have that question arise in our mind, what's the point? You know, instead of planting seeds that might just be destroyed by drought or disaster, maybe we feel just like burying our talent in the ground. So many things can go wrong, and we face frustration every day. But even though Ecclesiastes may at times strike us as a glass-half-empty type of book, the advice our passage gives us is firmly the opposite perspective. Instead of burying our talent in the ground, we are encouraged to work hard despite the struggles and hardships that we might face in our day-to-day jobs, callings. And not only are we called to work hard, 
But as we see also in the latter part of this passage, we are encouraged also to enjoy life to the glory of God, to enjoy life in a godly way. So that brings us to the sermon theme. Though the future is uncertain, work hard in faith and enjoy life in a godly way. We'll look at, first of all, going to work in faith, and second of all, enjoying life in a godly way. Now, in the first two verses of Ecclesiastes 11, the preacher gives us this advice, cast your bread upon the waters, or you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, what do these words mean? Well, there's two main ways we can interpret these verses. Uh, These verses, first of all, may be encouraging us towards generosity. And casting your bread upon the waters then means uh, completely giving up something you have that will uh, spread to, to other people for their benefit. And this then is followed by encouragement to spread your gifts far and wide to many. Give portions to seven and even to eight. That is, be liberal in your giving. Give widely, give freely. After many days, you will receive it in return. Now, these verses could, uh, could be encouraging generosity, but they could also be encouraging boldness in the area of uh, commerce and our work. You see, the word bread can also be translated simply as grain. And so casting your grain upon the waters then means, you know, ship your grain out to sea for, for commerce, for trading. Now, shipping your grain and food out to sea to trade with other nations, especially in this time, it was, it was risky. The weather could sink your ships. Pirates could plunder your goods. And there was no guarantee that you would see a return on your investment. And that also explains the next words, give portions to seven and to eight. Uh, This would refer to spreading your assets over a larger area to reduce uh, the risk of loss. So essentially, do the risky thing of sending your grain out to sea and yet manage your risk by not putting all your eggs in one basket. So there are two possible meanings here, but the general idea is the same. Casting your bread upon the waters describes a total commitment to an action. It means letting go completely of what you have. And both these ideas, generosity or a somewhat risky business venture, they involve short-term loss. You are giving up something valuable to you right now. Both may have an appearance of foolishness. Generosity might seem foolish because you're giving up your your hard-earned money. And how does that benefit you? After all, there, there might also be some disaster that comes upon the land. Don't you want to save all you have for a rainy day? 
been sending out your grain on the sea. We land you a huge loss if your, if your ships sink. Wouldn't it be better just to keep it all close by? But, though it appears foolish, they're not. Both also take time to see your return. Generosity, you won't, you won't just get something back right away. Same with shipping your grain out to sea. So these are the two ways we can understand these verses. It's difficult to know which one is correct. And yet both are scriptural. Generosity is encouraged by Scripture, and it's certainly not foolish. And generous people often see generosity come to them in return. This is not karma, but it's how God has designed things. That's why even though casting your bread upon the waters might means letting it go completely, it says after many days you will find it again, that is, you will receive back yourself. Proverbs 11 describes it in this way, one gives freely, yet gains even more. A generous person will prosper, and he who who refreshes other will himself be refreshed. Or as Christ says in Luke 6, give and it it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. Or 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Again, this is not some sort of health and wealth teaching that if you give this much, God will undoubtedly give you just as much in return or something. But it does teach us to be generous even in the midst of the uncertainty of life. Yes, it's true. The future may bring some disaster that will damage your finances. But that doesn't mean it was foolish to have shown generosity in the past. In fact, it's the opposite. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And similar things can be said about taking somewhat risky business ventures I take the words of Proverbs 14, verse 4. uh, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Or to translate it in another way, where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is clean, but an abundant harvest is produced by strong oxen. And the meaning is this. Sure, there may be some short-term benefits of not investing in an ox, while you're farming. After all, you don't need to supply uh, large amounts of food to sustain such a big animal. But if you don't have a strong ox, you also won't be able to gain a good harvest. So short-term, some short-term risk and investment in business are needed for long-term gain. That's the counsel of God's Word. And this idea is further developed in a Uh, rest of Ecclesiastes 11, there it says, there are uncertainties in life. We don't know what will happen in the future. And you also can't control the elements in nature. Uh, There it says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. You can't stop that. 
If a tree falls to the north or the south, there it will lie. And sometimes these things will benefit us. Sometimes they will be harmful for our work and also the crops. However, we can't let that uncertainty of the future stop us from going out to do our daily work. We can't wait for the perfect conditions to come around to get to work, because if we try to do that, we'll probably get nowhere and never start. As verse 4 says, The one who watches the wind will not sow, the one who stares at the clouds will not reap. Right? A farmer might not want to sow a seed because he's scared of the wind blowing it all away. And he might be later scared of the weather at harvest time because the weather might damage his crops before he can bring them in to the barns. The thing we need to realize is that we can't wait for the perfect conditions in life before we act. Life in this broken world involves risks. And there will be times that our work is ruined by some difficulty or some disaster. And we don't know what God has planned for the future, as he says here. We don't know the way of God. But God has called us to do our work. And so we work in faith. He's told us to be diligent in our everyday calling. So we work hard at our jobs. We work to the best of our ability to His glory, even though it might involve also risks that we need to take. Now, at this point, I will say, in many ways, it does feel strange standing up here giving you a business advice. Uh, some of you might be thinking, well, it's nice of you to talk so easily about taking uh, business risks, but you've never taken out a business loan, and you don't know the stress of running a business. And you know what? It's true. Every week, I get to sit in my ivory tower writing sermons. And while I might be able to give you some good veggie gardening tips, I'm also not a farmer. But here we have God's Word. And God's Word is teaching us here that there is uncertainty in life that we cannot eliminate. Yes, the Bible warns against being reckless. But here it cautions us against being riskless. We can be frozen by fear in this, ancient wor- in this uncertain world. God is telling us not to be. After all, what does God's Word teach us about work? Well, after the fall into sin, God cursed the ground so that work would be hard. It would be hard to make a living, but not impossible. He restrained the curse so that work and making a living is possible. And work is hard so that by the sweat of our brow we eat bread, but it's not so hard that we can't make a living and eat bread. And when we go about our daily work, we're going to feel the frustration of work in a fallen world. And yet we continue to work 
in faith. For all, what did God promise in Genesis 8 after the flood? He said, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And that is to say, the conditions needed to work in order to make a living will continue. Yes, you can count on the fact that there will be setbacks, maybe times of financial pain, but we can also trust God's providence. He opens up His hands and provides also, especially through our work. We also trust God's wisdom when it comes to work. He says in Proverbs 14, verse 23, All hard work brings a profit. The mere talk leads only to poverty. You know, our day-to-day work is often not easy or pleasant. So how does someone, so how does someone who doesn't know Christ uh, view work? Well, often it's viewed only as a necessary evil to gain some cold, hard cash. And if we can avoid it, the thinking goes, and we should, so many people are just working for the weekend. But things are radically different for the believer. We go about our day-to-day work in light of Christ's redeeming work. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. We have eternal life through His blood. We've been bought by Christ's sacrifice and death. So what does that mean for us? It means we can let go of our lives in the here and now. We don't have to hold on to our lives like the person who doesn't know Christ, straining for Freedom 55. Our motto is not, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. No, Christ has redeemed us. He's given us eternal life. He's freed us to to lose our lives here, to give up our lives now. And one way we express that is by working hard at our daily calling, despite the frustrations, the pains we might feel. And you know what? One good way you can serve your neighbor is by doing your daily work well. And this is the basis for what has been called the Protestant work ethic. When you work well at your daily calling, your neighbor will benefit. You know, the reformer Martin Luther had something to say about work. One example he used was that of a shoemaker. He said, how does, a, how does a Christian shoemaker do his work, show his faith? Well, he doesn't show his Christian faith by stitching little crosses on the shoes he makes. Rather, he shows his Christian faith by making good shoes to the best of his ability. 
so that they will serve his neighbor well. Indeed, what a good perspective to have. So let me encourage you to go about your daily work in faith. Work hard, work for God's glory, uh, work for your neighbor's benefit. As verse 6 tells us, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. That brings us to our second point. Now, given what I just said about working hard or daily work, you may wonder if God tells us that life is all work and no play. After all, too, we might think, if disasters and uncertainties abound, can we afford to even take some leisure time, enjoy uh, life and creation? Yet, while the first half of our text encourages hard work, the second half it encourages an enjoyment of life. You see that there in, in this text. Here and elsewhere, the Scripture does command the enjoyment of God's gifts in creation. And that should not be surprising for us. What do we see right in Genesis 1 when God created the world? God created light, and then it says, God saw the light, that it was good. And we hear that refrain throughout Genesis at creation, God saw what he made, and behold, it was good. And that's one way we know it is good, also by experiencing the goodness of God in creation. And so it's no wonder that we echo what God himself declared in Genesis 1. God's creation is good, light is good, the sun is good. It's to be enjoyed as, as good. That's why we have in verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes see the sun, and I'm sure you all experience that. It's being able to soak in the rays on a beautiful spring day like we've had this past week, a few of them. Imagine life without the sun. How dreadful that would be. When you see the sun, feel its warmth. It's pleasant. It's sweet. It's something to be enjoyed for God's glory. As one commentator put it so well, there is in God's creation a sweetness to be savored with enthusiasm. Kind of, have, kind of has a nice ring to it. In God's creation, there's a sweetness to be savored with enthusiasm. Indeed. And again, when we think of the hardships in life, uncertainties, we might be tempted to think that we should forget about leisure and the enjoyment of creation. Life should be all work and no play. Listen to verses 8 and 9. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And we do this sort of thing, we see this sort of thing in the, in the life of the Lord Jesus also. His life, yes, characterized by complete service, but he also took the time to enjoy food and drink, and that was to his Father's glory. Now, having said that, we might also think, yes, that may be true, but 
There should also be a caution here. It should be said tentatively. After all, our hearts are often inclined towards leisure and forgetting about work. It's probably within us all a bit of that attitude of just working for the weekend. And to be sure, in our affluent society, so many pursue leisure at the expense of work, we can get caught up in that also. And so we must remember what our text adds to this encouragement to add life. We must remember to enjoy created things in a godly way. And in this regard, there's two main things that stick out uh, in our text. The first is found in verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. It says, remember, the days of darkness will be many too. And so don't make leisure time the be-all and end-all of life. That's the temptation. And we're not working just for the weekend. The times of enjoyment are to be enjoyed, but they remember, they are also fleeting. We are not yet on the new heavens and the new earth. You see, the enjoyable things of this life are like a, a billboard on the side of the highway, which advertises something that's coming ahead. And the billboard is there to, to point you ahead, to get you excited about also what's coming. And no one stops at the highway billboard and says, okay, we, we made it to our destination. No. It's the same thing with enjoying created things. We may enjoy them to God's glory, but they're not the be-all and end-all of life. They point us ahead to God's goodness and just a small taste of what we will enjoy in eternity. So that's the first way to enjoy life in a godly way. Remember that enjoyable things are fleeting. Don't make them the goal of life. The second key to enjoying life in a godly way is found in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So that is to say, yes, enjoy your youth, enjoy your strength, enjoy life, but remember you need to also give an account to God at the end of the day, at the end of your life. And so, remember to enjoy God's created gifts within the bounds God's will, within the bounds of God's Word. And to do that, our hearts must be shaped by God's Word. Verse 9 says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But if we're not careful, these words can be disastrous if we take them the wrong way. That's because Scripture reminds us the heart is deceitful above all things. So, evil desires arise from our hearts, twisting God's creation into something uh, to be worshipped or sinned with. Let's guard against that. As you enjoy things in creation, remember not to compartmentalize your life, that uh, this is your life with God, and 
your, your work is over here and your leisure is over here. Don't try to take God out of your work or your enjoyment of, of creation. But every part, whether it's work or leisure, is infused with God and, and shaped by God's Word. Verse 9 instructs the youth, walk in the ways of your heart and the, and the sight of your eyes, but remember to shape your heart by God's Word or, or you'll go wrong. And Learn from an early age to delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in God's Word and Jesus Christ, also in His church. And these sayings will be best for you. See, when you're in your youth, you are setting patterns for your life that will affect your future. And you are laying a foundation for the rest of your life. So, let me ask you, what foundation are you laying for your life during your youth? Those who are younger, young adults, teenagers, and children. If you make good patterns for yourself, but delighting in the things of God, living by His Word, you will reap benefits, wonderful benefits in the future. Yes, enjoy the gifts God gives in your youth. Savor the sweetness of God's creation with enthusiasm. But if it fills all your time and pushes out God's Word or God Himself, you won't have a proper foundation for the time ahead when the days of trouble will come. And remember what our text says, the days of darkness will be many as well. You will be like that builder who built his house on sand. And when the rains came, the winds beat against the house, the whole thing crashed to the ground. If you learn to delight in God's Word and put Jesus' words into practice, you'll be like a builder who built his house on the rock. And then when the days of darkness come, those days will be many. When the day of trouble comes, the house will stand. You will continue to live for the glory of God. Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 65, all four stanzas. <laughs>